afoot, all our buddies. Welcome to the final Podblum, the only Sherlock Holmes read-through podcast that dares ask the question, what, when you get down to it, actually is all this then? <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Casey Hills. You may recognize me from one of our other shows, like Semi-Automagic Inc. or Dice and Virtue. And you might recognize your other host as the barista who has been described as, and here I quote, medically speaking, almost too handsome. Oh who is it that's joining me here? <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, hello, everyone. This is uh, my name is Nicholas Cohen. I have never done a podcast before, but I have done a bunch of uh, re- uh, random recordings, uh, usually about Star Trek because I also loved that. But sure. my, I've definitely loved Holmes for longer, so right. I'm very excited to just go on about this for as long as we do. It's going to be great. I as long as the sun lasts. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a very special relationship with Holmes. Tell me about that. I do. Um, so I first read, I read my first Sherlock Holmes novel in uh, when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school. Uh, mm-hmm. I was on, I was going on a very long road trip with my dad. We were going, uh, we were flying to Iowa and then driving a moving truck back because my grandma was moving out here, out to California from Iowa. So mm-hmm. that was going to be a long car trip, just days in the car with nothing really to look at except the horrible, desolate Arizona landscape. Right. I'm sure you I, know all I, about that. <laughs> I was going to say, as someone who is currently in the midst of that landscape, I, I could not object if I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my uh, actually, I have to give credit to the as much as I am not the biggest fan of the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes adaptations, I give credit mm-hmm. to them for getting me to read the books because those sure. movies had just come out. And I was like, I like old British shit. I will probably uh, enjoy these stories. And uh, so I saw the first movie, and then I, uh, my English teacher recommended me. Uh, I was like, I want to read some Sherlock Holmes. What do you recommend? And she was like, here you go. And she gave me Hound of the Baskervilles. Sure. And I read it on that trip, and I my brain just caught fire. I was like, this is the coolest shit. I did not know that old stuffy British literature could be this mm-hmm. exciting. I didn't know that characters could be this real and relatable. And Mm -hmm. uh, Holmes is just kind of this really weird mess of a person, (laughs) like personality wise. And he's very, uh, uh, the thing I really like about Holmes and that I'm sure I will come back to several times is that he's very, uh, he just does his own thing. He kind Mm -hmm. of operates, he has to understand society by kind of operating outside of it. And I always, as someone who's always kind of felt a little, like, excluded from society a little bit in in many ways, uh, I really related to that. And that struck a huge chord with me. So yeah, uh, so he's... after that, um, uh, after I read Home of the Baskervilles, I just went back to A Study in Scarlet and started from the mm-hmm. beginning and just read straight through the canon. And that was, like, all I did in high school was just I was all about Holmes. Um and since then, I've uh, reread a few stories um, here and there, but I have never actually read through the whole canon again. So I'm excited to actually have an excuse to do that here. Yeah, that's and be fun. Uh, I've watched a lot of uh, uh, TV and movie adaptations, and uh, I won't go into like every single one I've seen, but I've seen sure. quite a few of them. I think we've all we've all seen probably more than we realize because when we started about when we started talking about doing this program, I was trying to realize the true depths of the desolation of my Holmes experience because I had never read a single 
uh, anything ever. Right, yeah. Um, and you know, I had seen the Robert Downey Jr. films, which are, if not good Holmes movies, they're certainly fun. Oh, well-made, they're they're so much fun. Movies. I love them. Yeah. Jude Law as and Watson is inspired. <laughs> it's so good. And of course, everybody's seen the BBC Sherlock, and of course, the greatest adaptation of all time, The Great Mouse Detective. The Great Mouse Detective, obviously. Yeah. Which we just rewatched this Sunday, and it is it is still like it's a it's a really ironic like millennial thing to say that like a cartoon from your childhood is a masterpiece but it is legitimately a great movie like if you just take away that they're mice oh yeah it's yeah it's perfect oh no it's so much fun and uh it's a really cute kind of like uh tribute to basil basil rathbones uh, right who, who well. does make a uh, who does make a brief cameo appearance oh yeah yeah right as the voice of yep. Holmes. right oh my god yeah no that's i love great house detective yeah. um so yeah, my uh my personal actual favorite uh TV Holmes adaptation is the it's either I think it started in the 70s and went through the 80s. It's a mm-hmm. British very British Holmes adaptation with Jeremy Brett. Sure. Uh he personally he's my absolute favorite screen Holmes ever. I think he he really just like devoted his life to the part and he, if you ever uh get a chance to watch any of those episodes uh they're absolutely amazing. They're very, uh, they're very uh, uh, accurate in their mm-hmm. book to screen adaptation. They were it's a Brit, it's a British production, so of course they're going right. to be like this has to be word for word. Um, and watching that is just like it, watching those episodes to me is like just if you read the story and then watch the episode, it's amazing. It's like watching it come to life. How and especially mm-hmm. with how close it is to the text too. That's always really fun. You know, that's wild because sometimes when they make an adaptation that's too accurate to the text, mm-hmm. it can kind of it can kind of be flat. That's happened a couple times. Like when I read The Exorcist after having been a fan of the film for so many years, I was like, well, this is this is just reading the movie. There's there's nothing new here. It doesn't end with uh, David Wong's excellent John Dies at the End as well. They made a movie which was good. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying, yeah, I, I definitely read this. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> here it is on my television. So it's interesting when they when they manage to keep the accuracy and imbue it with enough life that mm-hmm. it's worth experiencing on its own merits. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is going to be fun. We're, we're going to go through the whole canon eventually. That mm-hmm. is the goal. Hopefully. And yeah. yeah, you have given me to understand that for the most part, they can be read in any order, but that we started with the chronological first, both in world and uh, publishing mm-hmm. wise, mm-hmm. Uh, a study in Scarlet from 1887. Yes. I just thought that would be the best yeah. place to start um just because it, it's where the characters are introduced yeah holmes and watson meet each other which we've all seen a million times that's mm-hmm. kind of the that's kind of the archetypical holmes thing is that uh well we'll get into that yeah. so anyway we're starting with a study in scarlet you will find in the show notes uh that we have posted if like myself you have never read it because you I haven't had the time or you're intimidated by, you know, your classical literature. Oh, and that was another thing I wanted to say when you talked about that you didn't know. Go ahead. Take take sip upon sip of your vitamin water. Don't <laughs> on my account. You got to quench that shit, son. Um, when you spoke about the accessibility of it, which you had not predicted, I had a similar experience with Edgar Rice Burroughs, who was a contemporary of... Um, Arthur Conan Doyle's oh, yeah. the same time period, if not the same literary, you know, circles. His um, John Carter of Mars books, which I, I'm not saying they necessarily hold up as good. <laughs> he was a slave owner. Mm, Moving on. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yikes. Um, but like, it's it's wild to me that you can pick up something that was written a hundred and what, 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. and you can just read it. Yeah, it's still, it's and just like, right there. 
<laughs> exactly. There are some little burrs that have to be sanded off, but for the most part, like, the machine still works, and that's wild to me. And that's also a very, like, American and English thing to have, because if you look at Norway, like, or not Norway, but like, Iceland, their language hasn't changed appreciably in 2,000 years. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, they really? can, Yeah, which is wild. But anyway, we started with a study in Scarlet. Uh, let me get over to my notes here. So, what do you know? Tell me about Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh man, Conan Doyle was wild. Uh, ACD. He, let's see. Um, I've read a couple of yeah. I've read a bit about him cause, just because he's so uh, interesting. Um, he mm-hmm. was a, actually a doctor. Uh, I think the character. He was. Of Wa- I don't know if he ever actually said this, but the character of Watson was definitely like a bit of a stand-in for him. Not completely, right. but it was just kind of like he. He honestly didn't bothered to give Watson that much of a personality he was clearly no. focusing all of his energy on Holmes well and some something I noticed while while reading was that Watson was exactly that he was a he was a reader avatar like we were supposed to inhabit him and experience like he he was the 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 avenue through which we through which we saw this amazing person and and Watson's reaction was supposed to be our reaction which right. was that Holmes you're amazing you're incredible and I wondered about that if his medical um opinions on things were informed if Doyle was a doctor. So go on, tell me more. He was. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, he definitely just kind of inserted a bit of himself uh, sure. into Watson as like, what would I say in this situation instead of making up a separate personality for Watson? Um, and uh, let's see. He... Uh, oh, what was I going to say? There's mentions of... I think... So, yeah, you definitely... Whenever Watson gives any kind of medical opinion or anything like that, it is it is informed because home or it was, uh, Conan Doyle was... He did go to medical school and get a degree. Mm-hmm. There's actually... I have to... I cannot talk about Doyle being a doctor without mentioning this. I have a book of um, letters by Conan Doyle that was, like, collected, uh, like, a few years ago. And he... Uh, just letters that he'd written to, like, his mom and his sister... And in mm. one of them, he's uh, he's talking about how he just got his medical degree. And there's a doodle. There's an illustration that Doyle did of himself holding his medical degree. That's so and it good. Says, and it says license to kill on the... That's so good! <laughs> so that hopefully will give you just like a bit of an idea of just what kind of person Doyle was. Oh my God, that's wild. It's so wild to me that people were funny in the past. People were hilarious. People were great. And like historical doodles and marginalia is a whole separate thing that we could get into. Mm -hmm, I know. And so many of it just like translates so well to my, it's just like, yeah. So Doyle was hilarious. And a lot of his letters are really funny too. Like he's very just uh, like, lighthearted he jokes a lot he was scottish i think um and he just yeah he was just so yeah so he um he got he had a medical degree he uh was a doctor he had a little bit of a private practice but he uh really didn't get that much he he was very much like an excitement seeker he sure. worked on whaling boats for a while as like the medical like person there and fell overboard several times into the like icy <laughs> water uh <laughs> like he writes about this and uh That's so good your diary like, <laughs> fell off a like, boat today met a whale like oh yeah fell overboard today i'm fine don't worry mom <laughs> don't worry <laughs> and uh so yeah he did that for a bit and then set up a medical practice after a while but uh he it was just so slow and mm-hmm. he was so bored that that's basically when he started writing the stories. He was like, dude, I want to try writing. I'm going to make up this 
this detective character and he had so much time with his like not consulting people for medical you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> advice that he was able to just write all these stories and people just immediately just fell in love with the character of Holmes and so he and also at the same time he realized that because back in this day I don't know if you'll believe this but you could actually make money from writing Uh, (laughs) and he did so he realized like oh shoot people really like these uh detective stories so and you know i like writing them it's pretty fun uh for now he did not definitely did not think that the rest of his life um he actually got really sick of Holmes at a certain point um i was gonna say see agatha christie and poirot oh yeah no exactly he hated Holmes by the end of like his career but uh he had to keep writing the stories because um people loved them people were just eating them up and he was making money off of them but, what you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. but uh, it's kind of nice reading Study in Scarlet because this was before all of that when he still yeah like <laughs> when Holmes was just born and Holmes and Doyle really liked him still, you know. So well, and that's that's actually something I wanted to get into, and we'll we'll get into the actual story of the thing in a minute. But knowing knowing what you just told me, it's so uh, Doyle was, if I understand correctly, he was also a spiritualist, right? Like he was he was he believed in fairies and magic he sure did uh i think that came a bit later in his life i don't know how spiritual he was before but he had his first wife died and then i Mm -hmm. think he lost like a sibling or some other family member and it was after those deaths that he that kind of triggered his sure getting into spiritualism uh but yeah he was definitely i he was a really interesting mixture of a scientific person, obviously being mm-hmm. from a medical background and a very spiritual person as well. Like he, well, and yeah. that's 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 something else that caught my interest. Was it seems to me knowing knowing very little about ACD, but mm-hmm. even just from what you've told me, that Holmes and Watson are very much two sides of his own personality. Because it's it's fascinating that you mention he started writing these specifically because he was bored. Yeah, and. <laughs> The need for stimulation and his need for adventure and for input, essentially, which is very clearly a trait of Holmes's, Mm -hmm. even though, like, Holmes goes through so much character development and retconning and, you know, it's it's wild, but but really consistent is that need for stimulus, for work, for problems. Yeah. And so it's interesting that he put his own thing in there. And the... The thing that got me is later in the book, uh, Holmes actually quotes the Bible in context, which is, I think it's like in a cool, badass one-liner context, oh, yeah, but no, he still he, he still does it. And there's there's this trend in the modern day towards intellectualism and intelligence being mostly equated with lack of religious or spiritual belief, mm-hmm. um, which, it, you know, this isn't the time or place to touch on that. I but knew you were going to bring up religion somehow. <laughs> I, I am <laughs> Never not going to, my buddy. Um, no, no, go for but it. But it's, well, it's just interesting to me that at the time, maybe there was this perception that a more educated man, a more intellectual man might have access to, like, the secrets of the world. Like, he was he was taught about shit at college. They know about mummies and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe, like, at the time, the connotation of intelligence and education was more that you were more aware of mysteries and more... Uh, keyed into the fact that the world was big and weird because like a lot of the modern incarnations of Holmes are pretty firmly either atheist or antitheist. Mm-hmm. You know, your uh, your um, 
uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and your Gregory House, of course. Right, yeah. Who is uh, one of the most enjoyable Holmes adaptations, if not the most accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting that there was a, you know, and I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. It's just something that occurred to me. Sure. And with that said, let's get into the book itself. However, Nick, yes. before we do so, and this is very unusual for the first episode of a brand new podcast, but did you know that we actually have a sponsor? Oh, we do? No way. Oh, we who do. is it? Well, our first our sponsor for this, the very first episode of The Final Problem, is Old Triple Granddad's Patented Soothing Crab Wax. Now, I know that you're a crab owner like myself, Nick, and when you get home <laughs> from a long day of supplying the masses with the most widely consumed stimulant known to mankind, I know that your little buddy, your little friend, Citizen Snips, will come up to you and he'll oh, be all yeah. dusty because he's been rooting around under the couch of looking course. for gold coins to spend on more tiny little hats or like live mice to pull apart with his grippers. Oh, you know. Or when I get home from a long day of whatever the hell it is I do these days and my pal, Crabracadabra, the Wizard of Claws, <laughs> he comes up to me and he's all despondent because daddy's been away for, you know, hours at a time. <laughs> I know... That there is nothing you reach for, and there's nothing I reach for, except for a pyramid of old triple granddads. You just oh, put a dollop of it on the carapace. Mm-hmm. You just shuffle them around with one of those shuffleboard sticks, <laughs> and before you know it, they're shining like Christmas morning. Old triple granddads patented soothing crab wax. Snip, snip, hooray. So... Here we are, A Study in Scarlet, which, again, um, I think we got off track earlier, but you know what? Books and also audioed books are hella expensive, so we are, uh, thank God these are in the public domain. We are going to be posting links in the show notes to free uh, versions of both of those. Bless you, uh, Project Gutenberg, and all of your free-to-read ilk. The best. So, Okay, so, uh, you know what, start us off here, lead, lead us off here, because you, you absolutely finished the book before we started this, right, Oh, oh absolutely, I definitely got more than just halfway through and stopped at the end of part one. <laughs> no, I just absolutely just mowed through the whole thing beginning to end. Yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, the down. book, I had a firm grasp of the uh, first half of the book for sure, so, yeah, no, the book... <laughs> That's um, the half to grip. <laughs> yeah, the book starts off... Um, with uh watson talking a little bit about just introducing himself a bit and talking about his uh experiences leading up to meeting holmes he gets uh, a military gets back from uh the war Mm -hmm. uh which uh he was away fighting in uh india um he talks he didn't see he talks about how he didn't see much action um he mostly was uh working there you know like as a, as a, in a medical capacity and then like almost right. immediately gets shot and yep. uh, then gets fever and almost dies. And they're like, all right, uh, good lad, go home now. And so he's back in London, very shaken up um, and just kind of like trying to readjust back into society as a right. soldier going back, uh, transitioning back to civilian. And uh, he's just kind of like wandering around London on his pension going day to day like i really don't have many friends out here uh Mm -hmm. just kind of wandering a little bit lost and then one day he um uh, as he's coming towards like the end of his finances uh he runs into an old not really an army buddy but like someone he knew uh another medical person and he and they chat and they get lunch and then his friend's like oh hey i by the way i know this or watson's talking about how like dang, I really need to, like, find somewhere to live uh, that's right. not a hotel. Yeah. And uh, his friend's the like, boy that's... needs a roof. 
Yeah, of course. And his friend's like, oh, that's funny. I know someone who uh, was just saying the same thing to me. And yeah. uh, and that was Holmes. And so Watson goes to meet him. And the I, I absolutely just adore the scene where they first meet for the first time. Because Holmes is just like peak at, like Holmes at that point. He's doing his it thing. Is. He's in the lab doing some kind of test for blood work. And so they mm-hmm. arrive and Holmes immediately is like, dudes, yo, check this out. I just, and he just is like exploding with information about like, he just invented this test that can like detect, uh, blood, uh, blood? samples out yeah. of other, any other that is like an agent that's activated by blood and nothing else. And he's just like, like losing his mind excited about this. And Watson's like, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Literally, literally wailing on a corpse with a writing cross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like what's... in the middle of the conversation, he cuts his finger open and is like, oh, we need some fresh blood. And so he just slices his own finger open. <laughs> Wait for a minute. Some blood. I've got blood. And well, I've got blood here. And Watson's just watching this like, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. buddy. And oh, um... the dude's got blood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then at the end, Holmes is like, oh yeah, by the way, you, uh, I found this cool place. Let's go check it out and see if it works uh, like this place on Baker street. And Watson's like, and it's so funny because the friend, uh, Stanford is just like, you know, don't blame me. If you think this guy's really weird, like don't like, I totally wash my hands with this. This guy's like, you really might not get along with him. Just don't blame me. And Watson's like, okay. But then after they're done meeting Holmes, Watson's like, this dude's awesome. And I want to know everything about him. No, it's 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 a meet cute. They just became best friends. It's, but that's yeah. actually something I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, Holmes, not Holmes, Watson. Watson, uh, Watson talks about getting home from the war and having trouble readjusting into society. And he, one of the things I'm really fascinated with, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, is um, one of the things I'm fascinated with in general is the past and people in the past describing things that we understand better or have terms for in the modern day oh, yeah. that they that they knew about back then but they just didn't have the same articulation for it that we do and the context you and I have talked about that is uh how there's a strong camp that believes Sherlock expresses traits which would be considered somewhere on the autistic spectrum today oh sure um yeah but what i saw here was that Watson comes home from the war and he's having a lot of trouble reintegrating into society and he has a lot of trouble not spending his money. He has a lot of boredom and a lot of listlessness. And, uh, you know, during like World War One, which is a little later than this, but around that time, like they had this term that they called shell shock. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, it's clearly post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, yeah. Like, like one to one yeah and so he comes home and he's he's damaged he's got what are probably depression and addiction issues Mm -hmm. which is actually uh, a trait that runs through watson in a lot of the adaptations the jude law version that we talked about is a notorious gambler sure Um, yeah yeah which i think could probably stem from you know overstimulation during the war and then you know you get into the ptsd and depression and addiction because he talked about that that he Mm -hmm he was medically unfit to just like be out and about doing stuff, but he also really hated just laying around. And then he meets Stanford mm-hmm. and he says, yo bro, Stanford, it's good to see you. My dog. I am having the real hard time with these, <laughs> these issues with my emotions. Except mm-hmm. I can't say emotions because I am a Victorian man and it would unman me to do so. And Stanford says, Oh, okay. I'm going to introduce you to this guy that I think is an entire weirdo, despite the fact that you've just told me about how emotionally fragile you are. <laughs> so Stanford is uh, something of a troll. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Um, 
We meet Holmes, and they talk about the possibility of rooming together. They become best friends, just like in the other best uh, Sherlock Holmes adaptation, Step Brothers. Oh, and uh, there's this bit where Holmes is listing off his his uh, foibles and his eccentricities. And he actually says at one point, he says, quote, Let me see, what are my other shortcomings? Mm-hmm. And that's a really... <laughs> One of the things I kind of had trouble with in this book was that it's the only Holmes adaptation that isn't struggling under the weight of its own reputation. Yes, yes. It's its its own thing, and that makes it really hard to read this Holmes, because historically speaking, adaptations have given us two kinds of Holmes Holmeses. You've mm-hmm. got the uh, borderline spectrum ones, mm-hmm. and you've got the ones who are hyper-charismatic badasses. You've got essentially... And this is a little reductive, obviously, but in modern terms, you've got Benedict Cumberbatch and you've got Robert Downey Jr. Sure. And, like, your charismatic one, your charismast, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the word, but it is now, um, would say that in, like, a really charming, winky way, like, oh, what are my other shortcomings? And, you know, in this really self-effacing way, but I feel like, like, Benedict Cumberbatch would genuinely say that in this really detached, like, well, these are the things that other people have said about me are bad. So yeah, here are the reviews. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me bring up my uh, Yelp here. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and that was kind of a sad moment, because it, it was like you talked about, like, Sherlock understanding society from the outside and he's like oh when i've dipped my toe into that pool here is what the fish have said sucks about me so Mm -hmm. you should probably know this going in that's Um, really true yeah i definitely think that uh the especially with screen adaptations where you only have so much time and only so much to show of this character you kind of have to sum him up as either one thing or another and yeah. I definitely agree. People tend to either go uh, the Benedict Cumberbatch route where he has no emotions. He's very just standoffish and just like yeah, blunt and has no really regard for like potentially offending anyone or he, right. he knows he might offend someone. He just doesn't care. Um, and then like kind of like the action hero, Robert Downey Jr. And also kind of Basil Rathbone adaptation does this mm-hmm. a bit too, where he's just like, nice uh if it'll get him what he wants and uh just kind of this like good guy hero a little bit misanthropic but like overall just like really suave kind of dude right you're you're basil of baker street exactly and he's neither and both of those things and i think the wild inconsistencies in canon they're actually not that wild with Holmes, they they it's more like details here and there that kind of are a little bit off because Doyle just forgot what he was writing about. Um, and uh, you definitely get, uh, I, I think overall Holmes definitely is misinterpreted when people put him as like this cold, unfeeling uh, like machine of a person. He definitely right. understands, enough, he has to understand people because he's he has to understand motives. He has to, you know, to be a detective, you have to know why people do things. Exactly. Even if, you don't exactly think that way, which he clearly doesn't. He at least can think enough that way to understand other people. Right. Which which is what leads leads to his modern depiction of being borderline sociopathic, is that he understands emotions in a mechanical sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he understands people and he thinks they're stupid, basically. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And not a fan. Yeah, not a fan. Don't really <laughs> like people that much. I'm uh and in a way, I kind of can relate, but um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, he definitely. Uh, there's several uh, times in uh, 
the first few chapters where he proves that that's not where he proves that that's not true where he's like right. uh he he tells Watson at one point when he's like chasing him out of the room to see a client like oh hey I'm sorry like Watson says like he always apologized when he had to chase me out and right. one of the big things uh another big example of this is when he'll like scrape at the violin while he's thinking Mm-hmm. And just kind of just like make noises with it, not really playing. But then every time he does that, Watson uh, says he'll follow it up before he puts the violin away by playing yeah. a bunch of Watson's favorite songs. And I'm like, little Chopin, yeah, really cute. Um, it really is. It's adorable. And, and, and like I, Holmes didn't need to do that. Like Watson has already no. agreed to move in with him at this point. He's already he's not really that concerned with like right. he probably knows Watson doesn't really intend to leave. But he still does it, just to be nice. (laughs) I think there's a tendency among readers, particularly, when we see a depiction of a character and a characterization of a character that we like, to point out what we see as hypocrisy or inconsistencies. Mm -hmm. And Brandon Sanderson, who is not my favorite author, but who wrote my favorite book, The Way of Kings. I like how you put that. (laughs) uh, It's, oh God, it's so, the different podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of his, one of his characters says something to the effect of, my favorite character actually, says what we may call a hypocrite or or what appears to be a hypocrite may just be a man in the process of changing. Ooh, I love it. Which, I mean, people can definitely be hypocrites. I'm not writing blank checks here. Oh no, for sure. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying that like what appear to be inconsistencies in characterization, which again are informed by our later understanding of Holmes. It's impossible. It's impossible to look at this book without looking at it through the lens of over a hundred years of interpretation. Right, right. But um, just seeing like I like the idea that Holmes considers himself this incredibly brilliant, genius, analytical guy, and emotions. I don't need them. I put them in a little box except when they leak out because i'm afraid i played bad music and made my friend sad but (laughs) don't worry about it so it's 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 just interesting to me and just the idea that that doyle is putting both of himself into these characters because Mm -hmm. all all art is self-portraiture obviously oh yeah so so just seeing him have one part of himself apologize to another part of himself uh it was it was just interesting and it uh, really is yeah and there's if i had a point it's long gone go ahead Oh, uh, no, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, there's another, just uh, to that same effect, there's um, another moment that I really liked where uh, Holmes and Watts are in a cab driving to the um, to go uh, talk to um, the one of the suspects. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Holmes is kind of explaining to Watson how, he, how his reasoning worked, how he got to each of these conclusions. And then he kind of mm-hmm. stops in the middle and is like, well, you know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you any more about how I figured it out because, you know, if a, if a conjurer explains his tricks, it ruins his, you know, like you're going to think exactly. I'm a, I, I think if I explain too much, you'll, you'll realize I'm actually a very ordinary individual after all, after right. all. And Watson's like, no, I'll never think that, you know, you no, brought never. detection down to like a science and Watson's just like, no, I think you're like really cool. And Holmes is just kind of like, and he like actually blushes. Holmes is just like, oh shoot. Like, you know, yeah, it clearly affects is... him. So like emotions definitely he you know he definitely and there's there's definitely an aspect of vanity to most incarnations of holmes as Mm -hmm. well 
which I think when you have a character who's a genius and uh, like I'm not I'm not making any profound statements by saying this this is probably pretty basic literary theory stuff but when you have a character that's a genius you you have to have a pretty significant flaw to balance that out oh yeah um yeah a, a, a downfall well okay so there you said they were on their way to talk to a suspect why is there a suspect Nicholas what has happened there has been a murder a uh, murder <laughs> Yes. Uh, Regular the, murder or murder most foul? Just uh, definitely foul. Definitely okay. very foul. Riding with blood on the wall, foul. Oh my! Uh, it gets it gets grim. Uh, no. So the first uh, the first date that Holmes and Watson go on. I mean, the first uh, crime that they <laughs> solve together uh, is a murder. Of course, it has to be because right. this is a detective story. Uh, someone right. has to die, uh, yep. and it's just this very uh, the conditions of the crime. What makes it kind of weird are that the conditions of the crime are strange. Someone is dead in a in an empty house, mm. and uh, but they weren't. And there's blood. Uh, someone has written in blood on the wall, uh, Russia, which is the German. I did not pronounce that correctly. Which is the German word for revenge. Uh, allow allow me. I I believe. Oh, go my ahead. Single single term of Antelope Valley Community College German. Oh, please enlighten well me here. I believe it is Russia. That was. Wonderful. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Frau Preschler. You were the most terrifying teacher I've ever had. <laughs> Respect. Um, credit where it's due. And uh, so, yes. So uh, we've got German writing and blood on the wall. We've got a guy who's dead, but not of stab wounds, of poisoning. And then we've got... Where'd that blood come from? Where, what is going on? And uh, yeah. And so Holmes shows up to this crime scene and he's got two detectives basically fighting to tell him their opinions of it. They're like, we don't really right. know what's going Which on. Which is and adorable. But we, but we want, like, eventually we want the credit for it, but we need you to help right. us. Like, please help us, please help Well, and it's, because it's, it's Gregson and Lestrade, the famous yeah. Lestrade, and are they, are they eventually combined? Because in a lot of the modern adaptations, Lestrade is called Greg Lestrade. I so, I guess so. Uh, like both... a composite character, like we don't need two of this guy? Kind of. I think Doyle kind of ended up doing that uh well right. he he does keep both of them on as recurring characters i think mm -hmm. a lot of adaptations do combine them into one person and the first name greg like in sherlock his name is greg lestrade and oh, is it? i i think that is a i think that is a reference to gregson but right. uh lestrade is death or lestrade i'm still not 100 percent. i've heard it pronounced both ways sure. among adaptations so even i don't know how it's pronounced i yeah. like lestrade um, that's how they say it in the Jeremy Brett version. Uh, and sure. he is, I think, a little bit of a stronger character or personality. Yeah. He definitely gets a little more description than Gregson, whereas, like, Gregson is blonde and Lestrade is, like, a ferret-like little man with dark eyes and he looks like this and exactly. I don't know why. It's, he just gives Lestrade way more description. And at a certain point, you get diminishing returns on having two of what are... Not not literally the same character, but functionally serve functionally, yeah, the same character. Yeah. Uh, they do both turn up separately uh, in different stories, but I think Lestrade definitely turns up more. He becomes the the star, definitely. He does well. So before we even get to the murder, I, I'm I'm trying really hard not to backtrack, but we we man, we could do this so long. We're we're aiming to keep this short and failing spectacularly. I'm so proud of us. Um, they do they do move in together before their first date, even well done. And uh, we get a description of Holmes' uh, domestic eccentricities. And uh, I've got a quote here. 
Nothing could exceed his energy when the working fit was upon him, but for days on end he would lie upon his sofa in the sitting room, hardly uttering a word or moving a muscle from morning to night, which, here in the year of some of our Lord 2019, oh, that's manic depression. Oh, big depression mood right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And or bipolar, I am not a doctor, do not sue me. Um, which is an, another another thing like, oh, Arthur Conan Doyle either had this or knew some people who had this. He must have. I I don't think Doyle did personally, but he, being a doctor, he sh- certainly must have right. seen people with symptoms or known someone personally, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, I feel like I should mention that a... Not the entirety of Holmes's character, but a great deal of the Sherlock Holmes character was based off of, um, I think it was Doyle's uh, teacher at medical school, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Joseph Bell. Uh, so a lot of the Holmes character came from that guy. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that has anything to do with like any type of personality or mood disorders right. or anything that Holmes might have had. But yeah, no, I definitely am thinking about that bit now. And it's like, I... I, I kind of just want to diagnose Holmes with something. I think everyone right. does. Everyone is like, nobody, or at least even if it's not like like a uh, a mental issue, uh, like what what makes someone want to devote their whole life to solving crime? Doyle right. never gives us any, frustratingly, Doyle never gives us any backstory on Holmes other than he has a brother. That's it. That's all you really get. Right. We don't really know where he grew up. All we know is that he's... Some of his ancestors were French, and he has a brother. That's pretty right. much it. Uh, we don't know if something, like, happened to Holmes in childhood that just, like, maybe someone close to him died or was murdered, and mm-hmm. that was, like, the spark of his origin story. We don't know. And I think the fact that we don't know that there's so little backstory on Holmes just makes him even more romantic to people. Yeah, because he can be whatever they want, essentially. Anything could yeah, happen. Yeah. I think Jeremy Brett, who played Holmes uh, in the '80s version, uh, like wrote his wrote Holmes's a whole history for him, basically, where like something mm-hmm. like that happened, where like someone he knew there was an inciting incident. Yeah, this whole thing just to have that in his in his psyche while playing him. There's another. Um, there's a, there's a show I believe it's on NBC right now with uh, Freddie Highmore called The Good Doctor, which uh, in in which he plays an autistic surgeon, which. Um, a a non-autistic person playing an autistic character is dicey, but apparently his uh, portrayal has been very well received by the autistic community. So f- fair enough. But anyway, it's it's clearly like House. It's it's clearly a Sherlock Holmes adaptation in everything but name. And there, yeah, there is. A, it's really good. It's on Hulu. You should check it out. There's um an inciting incident there with his brother that it doesn't turn him autistic or anything, but it turns him towards the path of medicine, and so. Having that launching point serves to kind of explain, but it also, as you as you noted, it also confines and defines the character because now these are the parameters he has to operate in instead of being whatever the story needs him to be, as is the case with Holmes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So th- there was a murder. I'm sorry. Go on. That's all right. Yes, there was a murder. Um, uh, you wanna you wanna go a little more about the the story? Well. Y- yeah, there's, uh, let's see here. There's a murder. They show up. Holmes does some wacky shit. As Holmes is does his, some wacky shit. He's crawling around. He's smelling the dead guy's mouth for poison. Yep, he's poking stuff and finding clues. <laughs> 
And he does actually work with the detectives. He does. Yeah, there's this in in the in adaptations there tends to be the sort of not necessarily adversarial, but like the cops kind of resent it when he shows up. Mm-hmm. But in this original one they're like, "Oh, thank God." Yeah, right, exactly. Like <laughs> And I I yeah, I I actually like that a little bit there uh which again shows that like Holmes does he can work with other people without yeah. you know, insulting everyone in the vicinity. <laughs> Yeah, they show up. Uh... So there's an interesting detective fiction was a new thing at this point, a relatively new thing. Um, in fact, Holmes makes reference to where did it go? Yeah, it's like uh, clear that Doyle read up a bit, like he was reading some detective stories. Exactly, when he came up with this idea. Yeah, he was. He references uh the one that Edgar Allan Poe came up with. And um, and a couple of others as well. So it's 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 cool when you can tell that an author is like a fan of the genre that they're one of us and they know and they know from whence they speak. Um, but it's but actually it, really funny because he brings up Dupont, Edgar Poe's detective, like yeah. kind of in order to make fun of it. No, he talks a little shit. He does. It's very self-aware. <laughs> it it is, and it's it's interesting because it occurs to me I'm not I'm not a big consumer of detective fiction, or I am, but it's only uh, Jim Butcher's Dresden Files, in which the detective is a wizard. Um, but it occurs to me that there are two kinds, essentially, again, very reductive, two kinds of detective story. There's the here are the clues, can you solve it, or the watch the detective solve it. And, like, Poirot and um, Holmes seem to me to fall squarely into the latter category. We are here to watch Holmes and Poirot do this thing. We are not here to try to get to the end before they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And- Especially, uh, I noticed this, like, immediately reading it the first time. I was like, I must be, like, dumb as fuck because I can never figure out what he is yeah. you know what he gets to but i think a lot of that is because of um the historical aspect of it like That's a lot of the things he's uh deriving clues from come from things that don't even exist anymore that we don't even think about like obviously there's not gonna right. be carriage tracks there's not even gonna be tire tracks on most roads because we have asphalt now right. um it's like just a lot of the things that uh i mean if you were i feel like if you were a really good even if you did have a huge knowledge of like that particular era, you might be able to figure some of them out. But mm-hmm. I don't think Doyle really wants you to. Yeah, it's it's very clearly that we're here to watch this detective be an amazing detective, um, which is which is fine. That's that's no problem at all. You know, when we when uh, I read a, a Poirot to my missus of a bedtime or so, we can you know make overtures and say, well, who do you think did it, or what do you what do you think this was? Oh, we're we're wrong. Oh but yeah, like every time. <laughs> yeah, and it occurs to me as I'm saying this that I don't. I don't see a lot of can-you-solve-it fiction out there. Like, there's a joke in a really old Simpsons episode, I think it was Who Shot Mr. Burns, I'm not sure, where Dr. Hibbert, uh, Hibbert, rather, <laughs> turns turns to the camera and says, well, I certainly can't solve it. Can you? And he just points at the viewer, and then it's it's actually Chief Wiggum who says, well, I'll try. But, like, <laughs> this idea of audience engagement, that it's not just passive, but something you're participating in, uh, is is interesting, and I I just realized I don't see a lot of that anymore. Um, didn't have a point, just pontificating. That that is a good, yeah, not really, honestly. I uh I like the I like detective stories. I'm really I I re, I'm really into Poirot. Uh, I like those mm-hmm. stories, and I like the TV adaptation with David David Suchet. 
Um, and I loved Monk as a kid, uh, yeah. a kid, teenager, whatever. Um, but yeah, Monk is one of my favorite shows. But outside of that, I don't really, uh, I'm not huge into the detective genre like I am right. into like the science fiction genre, for example. Uh, I don't really branch out outside of those franchises. Like I have my favorite detectives and I kind of stick with them. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, that's true. They Most of them are kind of just like, I, I feel like people who are writing detective stories are kind of just like. A lot of them just tend to be character studies of the detective. Right. Especially with Holmes and Poirot. Like they it's it's more about like making your detective as unique and interesting as possible. Right. Uh, right. Like rather than like actually setting out a, a mystery for people to solve. And definitely like Doyle kinda set even though there were detectives uh ahead of Holmes, uh Holmes definitely set the standard for like right. you gotta make if you're making a detective story, he's gotta be as weird or weirder than <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, he was the he was the, the trope codifier, the 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 archetype for this. Oh, speaking of, um did you watch the I think it's I think Amazon produced it, I could be wrong. But um what is his name? John Malkovich as uh Poro. They did a three part adaptation of the ABC murders. It was really good. Oh my goodness, no, I have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. It's on Prime. And there's a really interesting bit in there, and this is this is not a spoiler, but it takes place, I think, in like during or around World War One. And uh, this British dude is super racist at Poirot for being Belgian, right? Yeah, because apparently, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there was this whole, Poirot like, experiences he, racial discrimination like intermittently throughout the stories. Yeah, and that was wild to me because as again as white americans living in 2019 to us racism exclusively means skin color oh right and, yeah and that's like and if you if you put you know like a nigerian a somali a fijian and a sierra leonean together in a lineup and ask an american what he sees an american will say i see four black people and mm-hmm. that is that is not how the vast majority of human history has worked right um, and it was just really weird to see racism recontextualized in this in this new way that I had no understanding of. Um, this is not the Poirot cast. That'll be a different thing. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. There's a murder, and Holmes decides, I'm going to solve it. I'm going to do this thing. And Watson, you're coming with me, if you want to. And Watson's yes. like, I absolutely want to. I'm bored as heck. Uh, so, yeah. So they go. Um, they solve a... Uh, they, they get to the murder scene. Uh, Holmes does his thing and then the it this is this is definitely not the part i just read because obviously i finished the novel uh days ago right. um but yeah. you're <laughs> so, a complete uh, you're a not fresh in my mind for that reason but um but yeah the so gregson comes back and is like i have basically solved the murder and holmes is like interesting have you now why don't you tell me about <laughs> Go that on. so in this like honestly hilarious scene gregson sits but also like giving you information that you need for the story i love doyle so much he's so good if like if his facts are wonky or if like he miss he forgets where watson got shot like <laughs> Like yep. any any of the mistakes that Doyle makes, it, it kind of just you're. It's so easy to forgive it because he's just so good at like putting together a story. Like he right. really knows how to tell one. And so he has this whole scene of Gregson both giving you information that you need to progress the story, and also just making the biggest fool of himself in front of Holmes, yeah. uh, talking about how he, you know, how smart he was to figure out all these different things, and he's telling this whole story about how like 
he got all this information and Holmes was just sitting there like uh-huh interesting uh-huh, there's a line uh-huh, where it's uh-huh, like wrong. oh it's quite exciting said Holmes with a yawn what happened next <laughs> it's so good and that's that's a brilliant technique because you gotta have exposition dumps if you're working in a story that by its very nature deals in a lot of hidden information at mm-hmm. some point you have to start parceling that information out and it's always awkward to do so but if you have this character who is in context supposed to be a big dum-dum and he comes <laughs> along just spilling all of this information all at once it works so beautifully it's so good and uh let's see where was it yeah there there was another bit um earlier on where uh they invite holmes to come look at the corpse and he says we may as well go have a look i shall work it out on my own hook i may have a laugh at them if nothing else so he is by his own admission in it for the lulls (laughs) like if anything this will be hilarious (laughs) exactly and so uh gregson comes to this completely erroneous conclusion and i believe arrests an innocent man as well right oh yeah no he does yeah and and the telegraph uh draws this wild blatantly racist conclusion because again even at this point there was that rampant anti-foreigner sentiment going on in england um these racist conclusions basically because they felt like it (laughs) That's just the kind of story they wanted to publish. Mm. And that's a good goof, but also that is regrettably entirely fresh in Year of Our Lord 2019. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, the biggest, uh, obviously, the uh, being not to excuse it like oh it's old you know of course it's going to be raised. But like the my obviously the biggest problem with the home story is like there definitely are like. Oh, yeah. You know, Holmes is uh, socially just at the top of the chain. He's a he's a white male in England. You know, he's yeah. he's at the top of the privilege, and and so was Doyle. So yeah, there's definitely going to be uh, stories or or like pieces of stories or characters that turn up that are just huge racial stereotypes, just horrible yeah. racial stereotypes, and it's very regrettable, uh, like product there's... of its time there. There's I don't I don't even think that much later it might have already happened we're we're kind of jumping around a little bit and we'll try to nail this down a little bit in the future but it's not a big deal um there's he he has a street gang of of little Arab children who are consistently described as dirty but what's well, weird is well no I I to actually not to like excuse no, me but uh they're not actually street Arab was a term that just meant like homeless little kid basically. They oh, were that's actually, not they're, better. They're white kids. It's not better. That's, no, not at all. Not like, better. That, no. that term should not have been used at all. Like, it's definitely still, like, er, very uncomfortable to read. But, yeah, I'm just, like, clarifying there that they're... No, not. no, that's... I did not know that. That that makes a lot more sense because my point was going to be uh, that they weren't described... And I'm not like, give me that racism, ACD. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, he calls them Arabs and then proceeds to not elaborate on that at all and it actually confused me yeah it was basically just a term um, that meant like oliver twist and company basically oliver yeah adorable dickensian street urchin yeah of course obviously yeah all right so uh holmes says gregson you're adorable but no (laughs) but no and yeah and then sets up into motion his own chain of events and he asks he asks he turns to watson and he does this thing that we see in every iteration of the story where holmes is nine steps ahead and says something to watson that seems completely unrelated because he's just not on his level but he turns to watson he says he says have you any arms 
uh, meaning meaning weaponry. Right. And I just I just love that because he's he's basically they're trying to entrap the person that Holmes believes has actually done did the murder. Mm-hmm. And I love this idea of like, yo, Watson, I invited this dude who we're pretty sure already killed a guy to come over to our house. Are you good to cut a bitch down if shit? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Watson's just sitting there in the corner, like, damn, like I'm really engrossed. And then Holmes is suddenly like, oh, by the way, you have a gun, right? Can you, way, can you bring that out? Can you piece. clean it? And Watson just yeah. like, oh, oh, like Holmes basically just tells him to roll for initiative. Exactly, he does. Yes, <laughs> just ready in action to, to draw iron. If yeah, be. it's so good. It's great. Um, oh, there's a bit, the best bit in the entire book. I enjoyed this a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I kind I'm of, so it's glad. not that I. It's not that I wasn't anticipating enjoying it. I just didn't really know what I was getting into, but I enjoyed it a lot. There's a bit after after Gregson finishes spinning his wildly incorrect tale. He he says that he's tired and that he's thirsty and asks, I believe, Watson for a drink um, and says that he's tired out from all the brain thinking mm-hmm. and says, you will appreciate that, Mr. Sherlock. Uh, he says he's tired from the brain thinking and says, you will appreciate that, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, for we are both brain workers. Right. Just putting and, himself on holy, the audacity to just like put himself up on Holmes's level. And like it that. makes me so happy that even a hundred and whatever years ago that there's this fundamental human thing of nothing in the world being quite so galling as someone acting like they're just as good as you are at something and they are fucking well not like (laughs) as someone who works in retail (laughs) oh my god that really struck home with me (laughs) yo same same i I, felt that emotion (laughs) i work i work at an urgent care and I get people who call up saying, well, why didn't the doctor give me this medicine? I know what heals me. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Well, there's no reason for me to be here at all then. Physician, heal thyself. <laughs> oh, just, my goodness. I did not know you went to medical school. Forgive me. I apologize. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't hear your diploma coming through the phone. It's uh, <laughs> no, but just the idea of people, you, you know, this uh, anybody could do your job is is universal mm-hmm. and incredibly galling. Um, there's a weird so there was a weird thing that happened where where Gregson, in the course of enumerating uh, the many, many things about which he is fundamentally wrong, um, he does this weird literary device of recounting an entire conversation he had with another party, the party that he believes led him to arrest this wrong person. Yeah. And he, this conversation is so elaborate and clear and improbably eloquent mm-hmm. and while i was reading it i thought gregson is not this smart and it's just it's a very odd literary device but it occurs to me he was trying to make himself sound smarter and more competent for sherlock and watson wasn't he oh obviously well i mean it's i, th- I think it's probably a combination of that and obviously he's not going to remember word for word a conversation he says he takes down certain things shorthand which i guess right. was like an older way of writing uh when you know texting wasn't a thing yet uh, right. where he can get quotes um, but like he would have had to make up this conversation like we're, yeah. but it, when we have a conversation nowadays we say stuff like and they were like and then say basically what they said but not word for word right. it's just kind of like taken for granted that it's not word for word but back uh, I think Doyle was kind of just doing what TV does now in a flashback where it mm-hmm. would it would show Gregson actually interacting with these people and like it would show yeah, the whole scene, but he can't you know they can't even conceive of that being a thing, so he has to say it like it happened now just for the benefit of the reader. Right. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Um. So it was at this point that I began to think that there would not be any wizards at all in this book. 
Unfortunately, no. Uh, no. Despite Doyle being a huge spiritualist, there are very few. Yeah. Uh, although, if you want to read The Hound of the Baskervilles, there's there's a ghostly hound, but it's not. It, very excited. Spoiler. Very excited. I am here for the spectral canine. Uh, yeah, no no wizards, no baniculas. Very, uh, very little no, magic. Yeah disappointing well uh at this but I point hope you still <laughs> no no i'm 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 goofing it's they're they're good books and i'm very excited about it uh so there's another murder tell us about the other murder nicholas i really wish i could case okay, okay there's another murder. <laughs> and this one is this one is literally uh what we would recognize as now being word for word a locked room mystery uh it's a gentleman in a boarding house and he uh has gotten himself good and stabbed mm-hmm. uh but there's no murder weapon and a lot of the circumstances don't make any sense mm-hmm. and they get in there holmes does his what is canonically called in tv tropes terms at least sherlock vision on the whole scene and they uh they find oh no that's that's gregson recounting this i apologize what is uh, sherlock holmes vision was, holmes if, was if not I may ask. Oh. is that like oh, what they do in sherlock where they show him Exactly. That's Robert Downey Jr. doing the, you know, punch throat, you know, discombobulate. Oh, slow motion kind of. Okay, got it. Exactly. Just the the instant visual analysis of everything that's going on. Got it. Like Uh, Holmes' point of view, basically. Exactly. Which is visual shorthand for this character is a genius. Um, Anyway, so Gregson tells him that they found this little box of pills. And Sherlock says, aha, the pills that I absolutely had deduced must be there. Um... (laughs) They open up a pill, and let me tell you, Sherlock Holmes, killing your dog and solving your crimes since 1898. Yeah, uh, they they crack open some pills, and Sherlock Holmes kills a dog, who we are told in no uncertain terms was apparently past his best buy date anyway right no i was um, like don't worry it's an old dog though like i'm gonna kill an animal but it's oh, he's old he's gonna die but still, i'm like dude this has been and it's kind of in the nature of the detective story at least in my experience that we're always a couple steps behind the action because that's what detectives do they detect what has already happened and they try to they try to keep up with uh the the main actors the main instigators in the story but we get our first real action scene in this story uh out of nowhere um although i feel very proud of myself that i kind of did predict it a couple seconds ahead of time uh and it's it's not so much that i understood the, like the details as much as i understand and this sounds really arrogant but i don't mean it that way uh, i understand the shape of stories sure you read a lot it's something i'm very interested in the structure of how stories work mechanically and so i saw that there was a thing coming but sherlock says okay we're gonna go do a thing hey you call a cab for me would you and the cabbie arrives and sherlock slaps some bracelets on that dude (laughs) yeah um he cuffs that cat and let's see here it actually was the cab driver this time it really was yeah (laughs) Yeah. watson is the audience surrogate and so because he is mystified by sherlock holmes we are generally meant to be as well uh which is why these stories aren't can you solve it's uh but yeah something about the cabman's approach made my senses tingle and uh, he basically turns to the audience and says, and here's how it happened. <laughs> and that's and that's when it cuts to part two, The Country of the Saints, which is such a great title for anything. Right? It makes me so happy. Yeah. Please be more dramatic. For real. And uh, we will cover 
that, the second half of the book, next week. We're generally going to try to keep these episodes a little shorter just because they're a little easier to chomp down like popcorn that way. But this is a, a fairly long book. This Is is this the longest in the canon? I don't know. I, I want to say um, The Sign of Four is longer, which is the next novel time uh Time-wise and uh, chronologically, I think, as well. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, this one's, uh, for a novel, it's not long, but it is definitely, like, it'll it'll be easier to do shorter segments with the short yeah, stories. It's, it's very long for a character we associate primarily with the short story. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed what you heard today, come on back next time when we cover The Country of the Saints, the second half of A Study in Scarlet. And before we go, Nick, I came up with a little game that I thought might be fun. So, as someone who identifies so very strongly with Sherlock, uh, I thought we could play some What Would Sherlock Do? All right. Which is where I'm going to give you a situation... And you are going to tell me what you think Sherlock Holmes would do. And I don't want you to sit there and ponder. I want your your instinctual... Off the cuff, like... Your knee-jerk gut reaction. <laughs> you got it. Okay, him. so I've only got a couple of them. Uh, and hopefully hopefully our listeners can use the hashtag, what would Sherlock do? And we'll get some more submissions for next time. So that'll be a lot of fun. All right, so your first one. A wine mom asks to talk to Sherlock's manager. Oh, Lord. Um... <laughs> What manager? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well done. Okay, nope. Good answer. Holmes is his own boss. Uh, All right. Sherlock finds out. Sherlock finds out that his credit score has gone down. I. <laughs> this these questions are too adult for me, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Move Old of you to assume I have a credit card. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Okay. All right. All right moving on. Sherlock, Sherlock gets, gets to the cruise ship buffet, buffet, and they're, and they're all, all out of popcorn, popcorn shrimp. shrimp. Uh, find out who took the rest of it and have a strong word with him. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Sherlock doesn't like the book he's reading. Toss it. Throw it across the room. That's it. Bah! Preferably at Watson. Okay, and good. if Watson likes it, asks him why. <laughs> and finally, a sucka MC attempts to smoke Sherlock, quote, like a pound of bacon in a rap battle. I Oh, rap battle. Okay, I was like, I'm going to need some translation for this question. That's fair. <laughs> um, uh oh lord um i oh geez am i being timed here is it <laughs> i mean i mean we got dings we got dings coming in we do have dings I, the dings are it's stressing me out um <laughs> rap battle sherlock holmes rap battle wow this is not where i thought this podcast was gonna end up um <laughs> i feel like all right just, don't worry about it i feel like you just shove watson in this spot up to the mic and just ha- just, just be say, like you know yeah. what <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna outsource this. You deal with this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, that's all right, Nick. We'll figure that out later. Did you know that in England they call bacon the Queen's yardstick? What? You know yeah, what? Yeah. I I believe it. I don't even. Yeah. I've never heard of it. True, because she used it back in like less approachable Queen times. They she would use it like uh, she would use it to bribe little filthy street urchins, street Arabs, if you will, oh, oh, no. uh, to stand <laughs> at least a yard away from her. And so to this day, you can walk into a breakfast mine in London and you can ask for 18 queen's feet. You'll get six slices of bacon. 100% true as long as you don't. Yeah, 100% true as far as any of us are willing to be concerned. So, friends and neighbors, thank you for joining us here on the inaugural episode of The Final Podblum. Uh, You can find us at The Final Podblum on Twitter. Again, we'll be posting uh, the full text and audio, uh, free as hell audio, so I make no (laughs) promises for the quality of that. But uh, in the show notes, uh, please tweet at us. We would love to hear from you. I can be found at at Hotel Theotokos. Uh, Nick, do you want people to find you on twitter sure go for it where can we find you 
Oh, uh, you can find me at Wayfarers underscore all uh, at Twitter. Uh, I post a lot about Star Trek, though, so just a yes. disclaimer, that's mostly what I use Twitter for. I mean, both of us do. It's Yeah, we, we operate in a very Star Trek pool. Yeah, it's absolutely my personal Twitter. Uh, all opinions are my own and no one else's. Yep. Uh, um, so yeah, feel free to follow us on there. You can probably find us on Facebook by the time this comes up. You can listen to the other shows uh, made by all of our buddies. You can uh, listen to me play D&D with our buddies Dylan and Christina over uh, on at Dice and Virtue, which is a lot of fun. And uh, by now, hopefully we'll have some other shows up as well. Who knows? In any event, all our buddies... Uh, uh, thanks for listening. We hope you have found this enjoyable. And if you haven't, well, then you know what? We're sorry. That's your progress. Exactly. Yeah. You can join us next time in wildly inaccurate Mormon country. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see what Arthur Conan Doyle has to say about then. Until then, all our buddies, the game is afoot. All right. Sign off. So long. Uh...